Good morning. This morning, we will, I will begin uh, a series. Don't know how long it'll go for, but we'll, we'll give it a start on the epistle of First Peter. First Peter. Hear the word of the Lord. First Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, the word that you give to us, O Lord God. For it is your instruction to us. Lord, it is to be declared, it is to be heard. And Lord, give us hearing ears. Give us hearts that are full of fresh and open soil, Lord, that the seed of your word may be implanted and that it may be watered and that it may spring forth and bring forth fruit. Lord, to the glory and joy of God our Father, we thank you for that word and ask, Lord, that you would bless this time that we spend together. May the words that I speak not be my own, but be those, O Lord God, which you have given to preach. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord stand forever. Amen. Now, anyone who has been at Hope Church has heard from the scripture in many places that which is expressed in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, by grace we are saved through faith. It's not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of our own works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now many very familiar New Testament scriptures about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, come from the pen of the Apostle Paul. And if you're like me, you're likely to know more about the life and writings of the Apostle Paul, especially since he wrote uh, 13 of the New Testament books. Uh, Our departed brother, R.C. Sproul, had a suspicion that he might have written Hebrews as well, so maybe it was 14, but we know 13 for sure. The history of Paul's dramatic conversion from the great persecutor of the church to the apostle to the Gentiles at the very time that he was, as Acts 9 1 states, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Those accounts are well known, for much of his life is detailed by Luke in the book of Acts and in Paul's own writings. But we also have much written in the Gospel and Acts about the Apostle Peter. Though both men's Through both men's lives, we gain teaching and testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Savior of sinners. And in both of their lives, however different their lives may have been before coming to Christ, we see the gracious work of the Lord through fragile vessels that he chooses to do his work in the proclamation of the gospel. As 2 Corinthians 4, 7 states, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So the title of this sermon is Peter, an Apostle by Grace. It's from the obvious workings of God's grace in the Apostle Peter, grace that the Apostle fully understood and taught as evidenced in the statement of purpose for this particular epistle that he writes in chapter 5 and verse 12. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Lord willing, future sermons of 1 Peter, we will examine the message of the Lord to us in the content of this letter that was written to those whose faith is based on the scriptures that teach us of God's marvelous grace, the elect according to the foreknowledge of Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood that we may grow in the grace and peace of the Lord. To help us better understand Peter's epistles, we will survey some of the experiences now in the life of Peter as recorded in the Gospels today and in Acts and Galatians uh, in the next sermon. So Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, and as Paul mentioned in Galatians 2.9, one who was one of the three pillars in the early church with uh, James and John. He was the first actual Christian missionary to the Gentiles. He was also a missionary to the Jews and a martyr in in Rome. Simon Peter is one of Jesus' first disciples, And he later becomes, uh, as you see in the Gospels, a spokesman uh, for the Twelve. Peter always seemed to have something to say. Um, But he was a spokesman for the Twelve. He was a leader. And Jesus gives him the name Simon Peter, the rock. And tells him, upon this rock I will build my church. His ability to live up to that is often in doubt in the Gospels with flashes of holy insight and that one point outright opposition to God's plan for the Messiah. The New Testament provides limited information on Peter's life and background before he was called to be a disciple. Uh, We know that he's the brother of Andrew, who was a disciple of Jesus. They grew up in Bethsaida, fishing village on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and they Operated, uh, they were in fishing business together with uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were also disciples of Christ. He apparently was married, lived in Capernaum, where there was an abundant trade and business conducted in the city. And it's possible that uh, even some of the men who were there, this has importance later, knew enough Greek to be able to participate in the the widespread trade that occurred in that city. Now, we're going to look at some, we're basically going to do a survey this morning of the mentions of Peter in the four Gospels. And so we will go through that 
momentarily. The references to Peter in the Gospels are, are numerous and often attest to his prominence among the twelve. So Peter is called to leave everything and follow Jesus, mentioned in Matthew 4 and Luke 5. Luke's account informs us that uh, the disciples had been fishing. They came. Jesus sees them. He requests the use of their boat to sit on the shore and be able to preach to the multitudes who had gathered there. And when he's done, he has them cast their net on another side of the boat. And although they had caught nothing, Peter makes a remark, well, Lord, we've, you know, we've tried all that and it hasn't worked. He says, well, you know, but nevertheless, they cast it and the net came up full of fish. And at that, Peter finds himself upon his knees crying out to Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus commissions him, don't be afraid, I will make you a fisher of men. Matthew 8 and Mark 1, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, so we do see that he was married. In Matthew chapter 10 and Mark 3, Peter is the first disciple that is named in the list of the twelve, indicating that he was a leader and a spokesman for them. And Peter is the spokesman at the the, uh, story that is written about the woman who had the issue of blood, who was following Jesus, and reached out saying, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And Jesus felt that and turns around and asks, who touched me? Peter is bewildered, like, Lord, you know, all kinds of people are touching you. How can we know with so many? But we see that Peter is one who is is there and he's involved and he's got an intensity about him that stands out. Peter, along with James and John, were at, he was at the raising of Jairus' daughter. Peter walks on water. When the disciples were crossing the sea and the storm arose and they were afraid for their lives and then they see Jesus walking on the water and Peter said, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come. And he steps out of the boat and he walks on water and the scripture says, until he saw the tumultuousness of the waves and, you know, many say he he took his eyes off Jesus. That's why he fell, but... um, He was the one who stepped out the boat. Peter was a man of words and he was a man of action. And he had an intensity to want to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, Jesus preaches a very difficult sermon, a divisive sermon as he speaks the truth. And many who only wanted to have their ears tickled departed from him. Some stayed, and Jesus looks at the disciples who are staying there with him, and he said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And who answers? Who answers? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What revelation, what insight. 
And Jesus' answer is, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil, speaking of Judas. In Matthew 16, Mark 8, and Luke 9, we have the account where Peter, the rock, has a revelation when Jesus asked the disciples the question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Some say John the Baptist, they answered. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, but who do you say? Who do you say the Son of Man is? And Simon Peter, again, speaks up. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Peter has this great revelation, and he speaks up. And he hears these words of Jesus calling out to him and telling him that upon that word of faith, he's going to build the church. And I'm not sure how much longer it is, but it's shortly after this in Matthew chapter 16. It's written, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised and who is the one that takes him aside the one who just recently had the great revelation Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying far be it from you Lord this shall never happen to you And he receives a stern rebuke from Jesus. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In Matthew 17, Peter is with Jesus at the transfiguration. You wonder with all of these things happening in Peter's life and, you know, we could read other scriptures that give some details about the other disciples. But we're focused on Peter, the apostle, by the grace of God. And I want you to keep in mind as we read all of these uh, uh, reports about Peter and his experiences that we see the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and how he works in those whom he called as his apostles, and that grace that works towards us as well. So Peter's with James and John, with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He sees Jesus transfigured, and he sees this glorious vision of Jesus speaking with Moses and Elijah. He's there. It's full of glory. They're full of fear. They're full of awe. Lord, 
you know, Peter's not knowing what to do, but again, he's a man of words and action. We can, we can build you a shelter. We can make you a, a tabernacle. We can do something for you. And the Lord speaks. And then when they come down, as they're coming down the mountain, the Lord charges us to keep this experience secret until the proper time. But here's Peter going from speaking the words, trying to stop the work of Lord Jesus to being once again brought in to that circle with Jesus where he is receiving the revelation from Jesus Christ. In Matthew 18, after Jesus teaches the disciples how to approach a brother or sister when you have been sinned against, when you have been offended, that rather than wallowing in our anger and self-pity, rather than going around to everyone else in the church or in the assembly, gossiping and complaining, we are to go directly to people with whom we have conflict and seek reconciliation one-to-one. Jesus says, only if that cannot be worked out, then do you go to the elders of the church and the church. But here's Peter's question. Well, this is all good, Lord, that we're supposed to do that. He says, but Lord, how many times do I have to do that? Seven times? You know, seven's a number of perfection. Seven would be enough, right, Lord? And what's the answer of Jesus? Seventy times seven to make his point. And then Jesus launches into the parable of the two debtors. In Matthew chapter 19, when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and, you know, wants to know what he can do to to gain heaven, to be saved, to be with God and Jesus, knowing his heart, challenged him and says, sell all that you have and and follow me. And it says the rich young ruler went away sad. And so the disciples are kind of astounded, like who, you know, who can be, who can be saved? And Peter makes a declaration, Lord, we've, we've left everything for you. Lord, we've forsaken our fishing business, our you know, uh, our friends, and we, we have come and followed you. And Jesus, and then Peter asked the question, what will we have? What will we have? Jesus promises to him kingdom riches that can never be taken away. In John chapter 13, Jesus girds himself with a towel and stoops down to wash the feet of his disciples. And he's doing so, and he comes to Simon Peter. And Peter says, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand And Peter says, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, 
If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, O Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Peter's always in there. He's always pushing to the front. And the Lord is doing his work of grace in him as he goes through all of these experiences. Now, just about all of the scriptures that I've mentioned previously, we haven't touched on everyone that spoke about Peter, but all of them have been in into one to three of the Gospels. But the passages we're going to look at now, this story is in all four of the Gospels. Jesus has been speaking to his disciples, preparing them for his departure. And he tells his disciples that he is going where they cannot follow at this time. And in John 13, 36, 38, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you? Lay down your life for me. In another gospel, Matthew, Peter, Matthew records that Peter said, Though they, all of his counterparts, though they all fall away, I will never fall away. And Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Not too long after that, when Jesus asked the disciples to pray and Peter is amongst them, they all fall asleep. He sleeps in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is accosted by the guards of the high priest, the servant of the high priest, Jesus, Peter is there with a sword and whacks off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And of course, Jesus heals him. And then, of course, we come to what's recorded in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 18. Peter's denial. Then a servant girl seeking him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, This man was also with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You're not one of them. You also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was also with him. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered. Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. It doesn't give us the details about that. 
what his words were, but you can imagine how he must have felt at that point with all the ups and downs, the glory and the shame of his ministry. But we'll continue to see the grace of God working in him as that grace of God can also work in you. On the day of resurrection, Peter is informed that the tomb is empty and he runs to the tomb of Jesus to discover that it is empty while Luke 24 says the others thought the report of the empty tomb was an idle tale. (laughs) They thought it was an idle tale, but Peter gets up and runs to it. After some time, the disciples have been meeting and hovering together and some of them afraid of what might happen and don't know how many days it was and Jesus has appeared to others. But in John 21, we know that Peter and the disciples were probably still undergoing confusion and and. Uh, disappointment you know having hope that Jesus was the kind of Messiah that would come and run off the Romans and reestablish the glory of the kingdom like it had been under David with David with Jesus being the promised son of David the promised king to come but that was not to be they were to learn more I don't know if he was discouraged and said well I'm going to go and do what I know how to do I'm going to go fishing I'm going to go fishing again. I know how to catch fish. Even though Jesus had told him, you're not going to be a catcher of fish anymore. You're going to be a catcher of men. But here he is. So we come to John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast. Well, let me go back a little bit. They're out there. They haven't caught very much. Jesus tells them where to throw the net. They catch a bunch. What does Peter do? He girds himself and throws himself in the water, making his way toward the shore. That's Peter. That's the Peter that we know. He does help them unload all of the fish. But there's Jesus, the Lord, standing on the banks, and he's prepared breakfast for them, a breakfast of fish cooked on the coals. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said, to Simon Peter. He's going to say some things. He's going to ask Peter a question three times. And he's going to use the word that is translated love in our translations. But a little bit of difference there. When Jesus mentions the word love, it's a Greek, based on a Greek word. It is a Greek word, agapeo. Different commentators and word study uh, scholars differ a little bit on how intense this difference is, but most seem to say it this way. Agapeo is a deliberate, intense love that is willing to sacrifice, a denial of self kind of love, a higher love. In fact, it's the word that's used for love, the love that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5. 5. The word that Peter uses is phileo. 
phileo, a brotherly, emotional fondness, love as a matter of sentiment or feeling. Uh, Our city, Philadelphia, means the city of love, that kind of love. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agapeo, do you love me more than these? What had Peter said earlier? Lord, though all these others forsake you, I'm not going to forsake you. Peter, is your love greater than your brother's? He said, do you love me more than these? Peter's answer, yes, Lord. You know that I love you with that brotherly, that sentimental, that, that uh, emotional fondness. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love Agapeo, me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love Phileo, you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you Phileo, me? Do you even love me that way? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love, do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. John MacArthur says that when we talk about agape love, we talk about biblical love, an act of selfless sacrifice. God so loved the world that he what? He gave the greatest gift ever given. And Jesus in the upper room with his disciples says in the gospel of John chapter 13 that he loved them to the max. He is telos. He agaped them to the max, to the limit. He loved them to perfection. And how did he demonstrate that love? By dying for theirs and our sins. He had died for Peter's sins, and now he commissions Peter. And the next time when we meet, we'll see in the book of Acts, we see what the Lord does by his calling of Peter. An interesting parallel here. In Luke chapter 5, after Jesus uses the boat to preach from, and he has the disciples lower the net, and he fills it with fish, remember Peter cries, Depart from me, I am a sinful man. And in this story we have another net full of fish. But Jesus jumps in the water and swims and runs to Jesus. At one charcoal fire where Peter had been warming himself recently, he denied the Lord three times. At this charcoal fire upon which Jesus has cooked for them, He is restored. He is clearly forgiven of the Lord. He is commissioned to feed the lambs and tend the sheep. Marvelous grace. Peter writes in his first epistle, in chapter 2 and verse 17, in his instructions, honor everyone. And here Peter uses agapeo, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. In chapter 3, verse 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, agapeo, a tender heart, a humble mind. 
The fact that Peter was clearly forgiven by Jesus and given new responsibilities, even apostleship, despite his total denial of his Lord, can give genuine hope. It can give hope to all of us who feel that you have denied Jesus in one way or another and that even this. And maybe you feel that this is unforgivable, but he calls us to come to him. He calls us to repent and to receive his love. Brothers and sisters, the Lord loves those that he has called. So whoever here today struggles with sin, you know, with your life, with doubts, with anger, with bitterness, with sorrows, with hardness of heart, with unbelief, with murmuring, with discouragement, maybe you even struggle with pride, covetousness, and envy or putting the candle of the light of Jesus under a basket out in the world. He invites you, come. Jesus the Lord invites you to come to him. Those who do not have assurance of forgiveness of sin here today, how many times have you thought about surrendering to our holy God to escape his holy judgment? He is graciously calling you to trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus. He paid the price for our sin and God raised him from the dead and he promises us the same. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Or maybe you're here and you're convicted but you feel totally unworthy before the Lord. Come to the Savior, to our Lord Jesus who calls us to repentance and offers us self-giving love that paid the price of our judgment. For the word that we read earlier is true. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities on the foot You, O God, will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. And closing with Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the good promises that you give to us, for salvation, for agape love that can restore us. We thank you in Jesus' name.